Well, happy Mother's Day. I don't know about you, but I was backstage and I hit that like button when Sherry was saying that we're momming extra hard right now. Moms, we got this, we're in this together, we're gonna keep on going. You know, things just aren't just crazy at our house, they're also crazy here at church. You know, as the city and the state begins to slowly open back up, we've been thinking about ways that we can have physical gatherings again and still adhere to some of the meeting size restrictions that have been put into place. And here's one of the things that we were thinking. If you have a lot of money and you've given a lot of money to City Church, we're gonna invite you to come back first. We want you to have the best seats and we wanna be able to get to know you better. And if you've given a little bit to City Church, we're gonna invite you to watch from the parking lot. You can't come into the building, but you can be on the property. And if you've never given, um, wait, okay, wait, 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 wait. Before you guys click out of the service, or heaven forbid, before we have a technical glitch and you don't get to hear the rest of this, none of that is true. Absolutely none of it. We would never open our doors to some people and not others. We would never intentionally discriminate against anybody. That's not what Jesus did, and it's certainly not what we would ever do. But what if what I said just a moment ago was true? How would that make you feel? Pretty ticked off, right? And rightfully so, because nobody likes Favoritism. We don't like favoritism at church. We don't like favoritism in our schools, in our society. We don't like favoritism in our homes or in our workplaces. Like when your boss promotes his nephew that's not as qualified as you are. That's favoritism and we don't like it. Or like when a wealthy alumni at a prestigious university gets in his C minus kids, but your A plus kid is left out, that's favoritism and we don't like it. Or like when somebody uses racial uh, profiling for hiring or racial profiling for arrests, that's favoritism and we don't like it. Or like when a step parent treats their children better than their spouse's children, That's favoritism, and we don't like it. And I bet that if you and I were sitting down over a cup of coffee, and I asked you that if you tolerate favoritism in any area of your life, that the answer would be a resounding no. I mean, I know that's how I would answer the question if you were to ask me. But I want us to challenge our thinking on favoritism and bring it out to a broader perspective because I'm not sure that we're seeing it clearly. And speaking of seeing things clearly, I've, I've always had great vision. I've never had any problems with it. Until, but I started to notice something over the last year or so as I've gotten a little bit old, uh, no, as I've gained birthday experience. Yeah, we're gonna go with that one. As I've been gaining birthday experience, I've noticed that I've had to start to do what I call the reach to read. You know, that thing that some of us have to do at a restaurant with the menu or with our phones to get something to come into focus, this thing that that we do that makes us look like a trombone player right here, the reach to read. And I know I'm not the only one 
that has to use the reach to read. Why don't you guys hit that laugh emoji if you are guilty of doing the reach to read as well? Well, in spite of having to do this, I was fine, I was okay, there was no big deal until I went to the eye doctor. And now I'm sporting these things full time. But here's the thing. I didn't realize how out of focus things were. I didn't realize that I wasn't seeing clearly until I got prescription lenses. And I think that the same thing may be true when it comes to favoritism. And today, we're going to get a new lens to look at so that we can help see things more clearly. Now in this series, we've been studying through a letter written by James, who's Jesus's half-brother. And James was a leader in the early church movement. And he wrote his letter to, to some of the first followers of Jesus in the first century church. And they were facing trials that they had not faced before. And in the midst of these trials, James wants to be sure that they don't shrink back and that they would rise up. So he gives them a lens to see their trials through, a perspective that will keep them from being blinded and held back by their trials. And he begins by addressing favoritism. This is James 2, 1 through 4. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but you say to the poor man, stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Now, a couple of contextual things here that I want us to notice in this passage. James is speaking to brothers and sisters. He's speaking to believers in Jesus. So they have already put their faith in Jesus. They're other Christians. And it's gonna be important for us to keep in mind who he is addressing. Now, the second thing that I want us to notice is that at this time that the churches that James was writing to are under the pressure of hard financial times. And because of the financial pressure that the church is under, James knows that these Christians are tempted to favor the rich by giving them the best seats. They're tempted to make them more comfortable because they had the capacity to give more money and help alleviate some of the financial burdens that they were facing. And now I think that part is pretty clear, but what does that have to do with discriminating among yourselves and becoming judges with evil thoughts? I mean, what does James mean when he says that? He is saying that when we show favoritism, it is reflecting internal evil motives. He is telling these churches that there's always something that drives favoritism. There's always something behind what drives discrimination and it is never a good reason. They're being blinded by their selfish desires and they can't see that by showing favoritism to the rich that they are putting their desire for financial gain. They're putting their desire for worldly wealth above their loyalty to God. And here's the deal. This doesn't just apply to the first church. It applies to us today. Favoritism has absolutely no place in the church, especially city church. 
And when you and I see clearly, we see that in Christ, we are all equal and favoritism has no place. And James wants to drive this point home for us. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? I love how James is starting off here with listen. It's like he's clapping. It's like he's stomping his foot, snapping his fingers. He's raising his voice and he's saying, pay attention to what I'm about to say. I need you to get it because what I'm about to say is important. He says, listen, my dear brothers and sisters, not my brothers and sisters like he just said a moment ago, but my dear brothers and sisters. It's like you can almost hear James being rhetorical. And then what's interesting here is that James then goes on to ask questions and not make statements. Hasn't God chosen those who are poor to inherit the kingdom? Isn't it the rich who are exploiting you? Aren't they dragging you into court? Aren't they blaspheming Jesus? And y'all, we know exactly what James is doing here. Because you and I, we do this all the time, especially parents. We know exactly what James is doing here. This is how this sounded in my house just a couple of days ago. Mommy, can I have some ice cream? Uh, What did I tell you five minutes ago? (sighs) Daddy, can I have some ice cream? What did your mother say? Well, then what do you think I'm gonna say? And we know daddy's answer is gonna be yes, but that's a different sermon for a different day. But we know exactly what is happening here. We do this, right? When we've given an answer and we know that our kids know the answer, we don't answer them in statements. We ask them rhetorical questions. And this is what James is doing here because Jesus had already given the answer. Jesus had already made it very clear that his movement was for all people and how we as followers of Jesus are called to care for the poor and the marginalized and the impoverished not to neglect them or to favor money over people. So James is rhetorically asking all of these questions because he knows that they already know the answer, but he also knows that their vision is blurred by their trial. They know that it's selfish. They know the rich are persecuting him. They know the rich are unjustly taking them to court and blaspheming Jesus. They know they shouldn't show favoritism, but they weren't seeing clearly and they were doing it anyway. These believers are struggling under the pressure of financial trials and putting their desire for financial gain, their desire for worldly wealth, which is the thing that is blurring their vision above seeing clearly and following what Jesus said. And James, he knows this. So he gives them this lens to help them see clearly. If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. 
But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. If we ever want to know if we are seeing things clearly as we respond to any situation or to any relationship, we need to ask ourselves, am I loving my neighbor as myself? Or maybe you've heard it, is am I treating people the way that I want to be treated? This is the royal law. This is the lens of the royal law. Love your neighbor as yourself. And it's called the royal law because it is the law that supersedes any other law. And here's the deal. We've got to get this right. We have to be able to see clearly. And this doesn't just apply to the first church. This applies to us today. Favoritism has absolutely no place in the church, especially city church. City church is a messy church for messy people. We don't care who you are or what you've done or what you haven't done. We don't care where you work or where you play. We don't care how much money you make or how much money you don't make. We don't care if you're blue collar, white collar, prefer to wear a dog collar. We don't care if you wear an ankle bracelet as an accessory or if it's court mandated. City church exists so that way all people can believe and thrive in Jesus. And we want the same thing for each of you that call city church your home. We want you to believe in Jesus, to find freedom together and to live your purpose. And no matter where you're watching, whether you're gonna continue to watch online or you come through these doors when they open again, you will be greeted with radical love. And no matter where you are on your spiritual journey, I want you to know that you have a place to belong here at City Church. And radical love is the way that we express the royal law because there's love and then there's royal law radical love. And radical love initiates undeserved love to others. Radical love gives and serves the poor and those in need. Radical love seeks to forgive before being asked to forgive. And when we love our neighbors with royal law, radical love, when we love them as ourselves, we see things clearly. And we know this, right? I don't think we would run into very many people that would say treating others the way that we want to be treated is not the right thing to do. But it's easier said than done. This is hard. And although many of us may not struggle with showing favoritism to the rich the same way that the first century church struggled with it, there may be times when we are experiencing the pressures of the trials that we face and we don't see clearly and we may be tempted by our trials to give in to selfish desires. So why shouldn't we do it? Why shouldn't we give in under the pressure of our trials? Well, James explains the reason, and it's a reason that goes beyond this life. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. 
because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And now, when most people see the word judgment here, they think about the final judgment, the one where our eternal destinies are determined, the heaven or hell decision. And this is why I said it's important for us to remember who James is talking to here. He's talking to brothers and sisters, to other people who have believed. So their destiny has already been determined. The same way that if you and I have believed in Jesus, it, our salvation is already determined. That is signed, sealed, delivered. There's no conversation that is necessary for us to go on. You have your entrance ticket into heaven. This is not a salvation issue. But if you have believed in Jesus, there is another judgment that only believers will experience. And this is the judgment that James is talking about here. And this judgment decides rewards. When we look through the lens of the royal law and we show love, we gain favor with God. And this favor leads to rewards in the next life, in heaven. And when we look through the lens of selfish gain and we show favoritism, we lose favor with God and we lose rewards. And City Church exists so that way all people can believe and thrive in Jesus, and if we are going to fulfill our mission, we want to be sure that we all have the lens of the royal law to be able to see clearly, even under the pressure of our trials so that we gain favor with God, so that we are prepared for that day and that judgment. So let us look through the lens of the royal law, let us see clearly, and let us be prepared for what is ahead. You know, throughout the years, I've shared various parts of my story with you, and there is one part of my story that, um, that sticks out to me clear as day on when I experienced somebody living out the royal law. I was 20, and I was a full-time student. I was a full-time um, employee, and I was a full-time single mom. And I worked 40 hours a week on top of going to school full time just to make enough money to keep my kid in daycare as well as to keep our medical insurance current. And I was on the WIC program and that's a government assistance program that gave me vouchers to be able to purchase formula for my son. And I remember my son turned one and we went to our WIC appointment and the woman across from me that worked there was telling me that it was way past the time that I needed to have him on baby foods and that my WIC vouchers were not going to be renewed. And I remember pleading with her and trying to help her understand that I had no way to afford baby food. It was expensive. I have no idea how I'm going to feed my son. But the rules were the rules and it didn't matter. And after that appointment, I went into work and I was upset and emotional. And a woman that I worked closely with named Jenny, she asked me what was wrong and I told her and I used her as a shoulder to cry on that day. And then after our conversations, I did what needed to be done and I went to work. 
And about halfway through my shift, Jenny walked into the office and she was carrying bags of baby food. She had bought out the entire shelf at HEB and was giving it to us. And that day, Jenny didn't see a teenager who was struggling through the consequences of some poor choices that she had made. Jenny did not see a young woman who hadn't put her kid on solid foods yet because she couldn't afford it. Jenny didn't see the bills that she had to pay and what it would cost her and her family to buy the shelf of food to feed my family. Jenny didn't judge me, she didn't ignore me, and she didn't blame me. That day, Jenny saw me through the law, the royal law of radical love, and she saw me clearer than I could ever see myself. Jenny showed me mercy. She didn't treat me the way that I had experienced the world to be treating me. She treated me the way that she would want to be treated. And that day, that day I had an encounter with Jesus before I even knew him. When we look through the lens of the royal law and we love our neighbor as ourselves, we see clearly what matters. And so today I have a question for you. Who do you sense that God is calling you to see clearly through the lens of the royal law and to show radical love to? Maybe you are sensing that the neighbor that God wants you to love the most right now are the people that are living in your house. And maybe like me, you are struggling to love your spouse well and your kids well as you're trying to balance being a good husband and, or wife, a, a, being a good parent while being a good teacher during distance learning and being a good employee and a good boss and all of those things are making it so difficult because it's hard. Maybe you sense that God is calling you to love your literal neighbor, the one that decides to mow his lawn at seven o'clock every Saturday morning, the only day that you get to sleep in and he wakes up everybody in the house. Maybe you are sensing that God is calling you to radically love the person that does not vote like you or share your same political beliefs. Maybe it's your coworker that you don't feel like is pulling their weight right now. Or maybe you sense that God is calling you to show royal law, radical love to that friend or that family member that you have a strained relationship right now with. No matter who it is, I want to challenge you to rise up and look through the lens of the royal law so you can see clearly and you can love your neighbor as yourself. And this, this is so important because you and I, we cannot see what other people are going through. We cannot see the battles that they are facing. We cannot see the trial and the pressure that they are under from the outside looking in. And as believers in Jesus, we're not called to fix anybody. We're not called to save anybody. That's God's job. But what we are called to do is to see them clearly through the lens of the royal law and to love them radically. 
And right now, just like James, I want to clap, I want to stomp, I want to snap, I want to raise my voice, and I want to say, listen, my brothers and sisters, because what I'm about to say is so very important, and I need you to get this. You may be the only scripture that somebody ever reads. You may be the only Bible that they ever own. You may be the only church that they ever go to. You may be the only gospel that they hear presented or the only invitation to follow Jesus that they ever receive. And you and I, this is not the time for us to shrink back. This is the time for us to rise up. We cannot be blinded by our trials. We cannot give in to our selfish desires and show favoritism to people who look like us, think like us, act like us, vote like us, or share the same opinions that we do. Now is the time for us to rise up. Let us let our lives be the reflection of what it looks like to see clearly through the lens of love. Let other people consider Jesus because of the way that you and I live our lives. Let people experience the hope of Jesus, not because of the words that we say, but because of the actions that we do. Now is not the time to shrink back. We must rise up. Let us see clearly through the lens of the royal law and let us radically love our neighbors. There are eternities that are dependent upon it. And so Father, that is our prayer. That's our prayer today. Give us the lens of the royal law, Father. Give us the ability to be able to rise up and to not shrink back. Give us your lens, Father, the crystal clear lens so that we may see everybody the way that you see them. Because Father, when we are looking through the lens of the royal law, we see people clearly. We see them, Father, the way that you see them. Give us your lens. Help us to rise up. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.